All right, time for the kids to come on up front. All right, keep coming. Good to see you guys. All right. So today, uh, in the Bible, we're going to be back in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 14. So we're going to be continuing there. And our passage starts today in verse 33. It says this. It says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Now think back to the church at Corinth. Do you remember what their worship service was like? Was it peaceful? It wasn't. It was, there was confusion, and it was chaotic. There was lots of things going on all over the place. It was kind of out of order. And so Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, that's not good, right? And so verse 40 teaches us that the worship service should be organized and orderly, and that the church should be built up. All things should be done for the building up of the church. Now let's think about that in regard to music, Okay, we just sang some songs together, right? But imagine if everyone was doing whatever they wanted and didn't care about doing things well or whatever other people were doing. They just did whatever they wanted. Do you think that would work real well? Imagine if Miss Lisa on the piano decided she was going to play really fast, but Mrs. Cottrell on the keyboard was going to play really slow. Would that be good and beneficial for us in our singing together? No, not at all. What if Miss Bev and Mrs. Freeze sang in different keys? Would that be good? No. Or what if Mr. Dave just decided he was going to go over and start banging on the drums and the cymbals? Or what if Emma just started singing a different song altogether? Right? Would those things benefit us? Would they build up the church? Would God be honored in our worship that way? No, those would not be good things, right? So every part of music needs to come together, right? Each part needs to fit its role, its part in the whole. That's what makes great music. That's also a a picture of what should be happening throughout our entire worship service, not just with the music, but throughout the whole service. God is a God of peace and order. Everything in the church service should be done well. It should be done in order, So that's one of the reasons we have a bulletin that's available. And in that bulletin lists out the order of service. We know kind of what's going to come next, right? It's also why we have, up front, we have one person talking at a time. It'd be kind of confusing if there was 13 people up here all talking and saying different things. Wouldn't that? That'd be kind of confusing. So we do things orderly. And so when our worship service is done with decency and in a good order, God can then be honored in our worship service. So we're going to continue talking about that as I preach on a specific topic within a right ordering of things within the church. So thanks for coming up, guys. You can go back and have a seat. All right, so grab your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We are at the end of the chapter here as we work our way through 1 Corinthians. And today, uh, we do get to a passage that can be a little bit more difficult for some. And so we want to be sure to understand it rightly. 
Uh, I'm not going to try to to nuance it or say something and really careful and dance around the issue so that I don't offend anyone. Uh, so if you're a visitor here this morning or newer to a good Bible teaching church, this may be challenging for you. Uh, part of what we do here at Pine Grove is preach straight through books of the Bible. And so that means we teach all of God's Word. Uh, we don't skip over the difficult things. We don't skip over the things that might sit a little um, uncomfortable for people. And so we continue on and we wrestle through those things in faith. And so some in uh, churches have left, some people have left churches over what we'll look at today. Uh, some have even left our church over this topic. Um, but to the best of our ability, we want to stand firm and remain faithful to God's Word. And so that's what we're about, and that's what we'll do. So I'm going to teach God's Word this morning as simply and straightforward as I can. That'll be my job this morning. Uh, your job this morning will be to receive it in faith. And so do you have faith for some potentially challenging things this morning? I hope you do. So let's pray, and then we'll read through our passage here. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you now, and we come to your word. Help us to receive your word in faith, trusting in you, and that you have in mind what is best. And so God, give us faith for what we will read and what will be preached this morning. Would you use it by your spirit to continue to mold us in the image of Christ, that we might walk more faithfully according to your word, more faithfully to you. So God, have your way in us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 33 and go through the end of the chapter. Here's what we read. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking of tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. So, we'll be dealing uh, this morning with order, order in the church, uh, specifically today as it relates to women keeping silent in the church, and we'll look at what that is and what that means. So, first we need to see here... Uh, what this applies to, look back at verse 33, the second part, for in all the churches of the saints. You know, I just realized, Janet, I don't have the clicker. Um, someone wants to grab that. Thanks, Lisa. Uh, the clicker is what we call the little button that advances the slides, the PowerPoint. So that's the clicker. Uh, so we are on point number one. Janet, if you can bring that up, just all... Uh, all churches. Oh, there we go. All right, thank you. All right, all churches. Uh, so Paul's writing here is not just for the Corinthians. 
right? This is not just a cultural issue that doesn't apply anymore. So we can't say, well, that was for them, but it's not really for us. That was for their day, but it's not really for our day, right? We can't say that. We can't look at it that way. What Paul writes here is for all the churches of the saints. It's for all Christian churches. And in fact, he says a little later, verses 37 through 38, tell us that all spiritual people should recognize these things. This is not something that will be up for question. These things are commanded by the Lord in his word. And so we want to have faith to receive it. Right? And so in this, in Paul writing this to the church at Corinth, he's written on topics that have been uh, out of order in their church, things that they were not doing well in their worship service. And so we might assume that in the church at Corinth that women were acting beyond the bounds of what was peaceable and orderly. Right? We aren't explicitly told that, but it would be a fair assumption for us to make based upon Paul's writing and the, the letter to, to the Corinthians here. This was most likely another area of disorder uh, within their church at Corinth. So women may have been making more of themselves in the church than they should have. Wives may have been uh, posturing themselves above their husbands or other men, positioning themselves in uh, places of authority in the congregation, as was previously indicated in 1 Corinthians. And so why does this need to be addressed? Why is this an issue? Well, because we are tempted to sin, right? We are prone to wander. And so men will be tempted to step back from the God-given authority that is theirs. Women will be tempted to step forward and take on authority that is not theirs by God's design. And so we have to be careful with this. And so this passage, passage is addressed to all the churches made up of God's people. And so what is peaceable and orderly? Well, women should keep silent in all the churches. So, Janet, if you can advance that, because this isn't working. So, uh, next one, women should keep silent in all the churches, all right? So, let's look at, look at what does this mean? What does this mean? First, we need to consider the context, right? Over the last few chapters in 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing orderliness in the worship service, right? We've seen that in, in the area of different topics within the worship service. And most recently, in chapter 14, he talks of the gift of prophecy, in the gathering of the church. So remember that prophecy is the bringing forth of God's word, the, the, the bringing it out. So what does it mean that women should keep silent in the church? Well, first, let me answer, what does it not mean, right? Sometimes we need to know what things mean and what they don't mean to get that understanding. And so it does not mean that women should not speak at all once they walk into the sanctuary doors. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean that you should not have conversation with people. It does not mean that you should not sing when we're singing together, right? It doesn't mean those things. What does it mean? It simply means that women should not be preaching in the worship service, right? The men are to be leading the worship service. That is by God's design. Another way to say it is that women should not serve the elder functions within the church service, right? And so the elder functions are when we 
expound God's word to you. When we bring it forth, when we bring it to bear in your life. So we obviously do this during the main preaching, during the, the sermon. It also happens during the children's message. It happens leading into time of prayer. You're, you heard Sean do that before he prayed, right? He, he brought forth God, uh, scripture and he brought it forth into your life. He applied it to you, right? It happens during your time of confession, assurance of salvation, those types of things in the worship service. And so we as elders bring forth God's word. We teach it to you. We encourage you with it. We apply it to your lives. This is what prophecy is, bringing forth God's word. And it is not for women in the worship service, but rather it is for qualified men. Right? So why? Why is this so? Why is this the case? Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We'll be coming back to Corinthians 14. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We'll be going back and forth a little bit, so you can put a marker in there if you would like. So 1 Timothy chapter 2, let me read starting verse 11. It says, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Okay, so why are women not to have this role of eldering in the worship service? Well, there's a tie here to the creation order, right? Adam was formed first, then Eve. Why was Adam formed first, formed first and not Eve? Because that's how God chose to do it, right? Why does that mean the women shouldn't preach? Well, because God gave that role to men. That's how God chose to order things within the church. God created male and female differently, and he gave them different roles. We have to recognize that. We have to appreciate that. We have to celebrate that and see it as a good thing. And so women keeping silent in the church in this way is tied to the order of creation, Adam first, then Eve. But it's also tied here in 1 Timothy to the fact that Eve was deceived, right? Verse 14, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived. Now, does that make her sin worse than Adam's? No. In fact, it's through Adam and through Adam's sin that all die, right? We all die in Adam's sin. He was the one who was responsible. He was the one who was accountable for that. So her sin was not worse. But there's a connection here to Eve being deceived and women remaining silent in the church. It seems that women are more prone to being deceived in matters of spiritual truth. So this is one of the reasons that men are to lead in the church and to lead in their homes. God has given that position of leadership to men by his design. So husbands, 
Fathers, you are the spiritual head of your home. Right? Now, don't tell me that your wife can do it better. It doesn't matter. Right? It doesn't matter. God has given you this role. He has called you to this. So take up that responsibility and live it out. Right? Wives, encourage your husbands in this. Right? Encourage them in this. Now, wives, don't do all that work for him. Right? Don't tell him what he should be teaching and how he should be leading and how he should be heading up the home. Don't give that all to him. He needs to learn that. He learn, needs to learn that from other men if he doesn't have it yet. We need to be learning from one another, even for those who are doing that. But why is be a support to your husband? Be a helper in that. Be an encourager. And wives, the other thing you could do is help your kids to follow your husband's lead. Right? Help them to be in submissiveness to him. And so men, learn these things from other men. Don't think you know it all. Don't think you have it all together. Do the unthinkable. Ask for help. Right? Talk with other men. Right? Chris, what does it look like for you to lead in your home? Bob, what do you do for spiritual growth within your home? Right? Those kind of questions. Ask. Talk about it. And so why are women to keep silent in the church? Because that's how God ordered it to be. That's the role that he gave. And we see here in, back in 1 Corinthians 14 that this is nothing new. This isn't a new thought or a new idea. It was part of the Old Testament worship. We see that referenced in verse 34, right? The law also indicates this, that women are to be in submission in this way. Men are to take the leadership in the worship of God. So next, how is this applied? Well, it's applied in, in a few ways. Obviously, first, it's applied in the worship services we're talking about. We've seen that women should not have the role of prophecy. They should not be preaching and teaching in the worship service. In fact, if you look at verse 35, the second part of that, it says, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. It's shameful for a woman to be preaching. It's disgraceful. That's what that word means. Why? Because it's opposed to God's word. It's opposed to his design. Now, does this verse say that being a woman is shameful? No. Right? We get confused over that sometimes. Right? It doesn't say that. Don't read more into it than what, it is, than what is there. Right? It simply says that a woman prophesying in the public church gathering is shameful. That's what it's addressing. It's addressing the action, not the person. Right? So the action. A woman's femininity should not diminish, should not be diminished by attempting to take on the role of men in the church. Right? Women have a wonderful place in the church. It's just not this one. And so understand that this is simply a, a matter of God differentiating roles. And this role is for men. So how, do this, how does this apply to other areas of church ministry? Flip back to First uh, Timothy chapter 2. Okay, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. All right, so how about church ministry outside of the worship service? 
Well, women are still not supposed to be in a position where they are teaching, prophesying, or in positions of having authority over men in this way. Right? So those functions, again, are for qualified men to serve as elders and deacons, as Paul continues to lay out immediately following these verses in 1 Timothy. Right? If you look at 1 Timothy, uh, we're at the end of chapter 2 with these verses, and then what happens right away in chapter 3? Elders and deacons. Right? Elders and deacons. These are men who are supposed to take on these roles, the roles of uh, authority within the church. So then how is a woman's gift of prophecy to play out in the church, right? As a woman, you might have a gifting of prophecy. How does that play out in the church? Turn uh, two books over in the New Testament to Titus. So 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. Look at Titus and chapter 2. How is this prophecy, how is a woman's gift of prophecy to play out in the church? Titus chapter 2, starting verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent to behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God might not be reviled. So women, this is what you are to do with God's word. You are to take it to younger women, to teach them and train them in biblical womanhood, biblical femininity. You are to help them rightly order their lives and their priorities by God's word. Right? You are to do this so that God's word might not be reviled to help the younger women see how to learn how to do this so that God's word can be upheld. And so women, don't ignore this area of ministry that God has gifted some of you for. Right? Use your gift of prophecy in this manner as you bring God's word forth into the lives of the, the younger women in the church. Let's consider one more area of application uh, back in 1 Corinthians 14, and, and that's in the home. Okay, in the home. Look at verse 35. If there's anything they, women, desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. So wives, you are to be spiritual learners at home as well, right? One of the means for your spiritual growth is by learning from your husband. All right, did you catch that? One of the means for your spiritual growth is by learning from your husband. Now, for some of you, you will find this a joy and a delight, right? However, others of you won't like that idea very much. You'll be thinking things like, well, he doesn't have it all together. Or, I know way more than he does. Again, that might be true, but that's not the point. <laughs> that's not the point. The question is, do you have faith for God's word? Do you have faith for God's word? Right? Women, talk to your husbands. Be a spiritual learner at home from your husband. This is a way also to show honor to your husband. Right? To honor him. 
to show him honor in the home. So wives, I have some homework for you this week. All right? I have some homework for you. Your homework assignment is to ask your husband a question about a Bible verse or something else in the Bible, and then just listen. Ask them a spiritual question of some kind and listen, right? Now, don't make it too hard for him, all right? Don't try to stump him with the most difficult Bible question you can come up with, all right? Don't start there. Start with something easy. It might even be something you already know the answer to, okay? You don't have to tell him that when you ask the question, all right? Start with something easy. Start with something he can handle, all right? And when you do this, don't argue with him. Don't disagree with him. Don't tell him he's wrong. Just listen. Ask him his thoughts on this spiritual topic or these verses and listen and receive. This is one way that you as a wife can honor your husband and honor God's word as him being the head of the family. One way that you can be submissive, an actual practical action of submissiveness to your husband. And God is honored in that. If it goes well, don't stop with one thing. Ask another thing the next day, right? Husbands, if your wife does her homework assignment, uh, you may be challenged, right? And so if your wife asks you something you're not sure of, don't just say, I don't know, and blow her off, all right? That's not loving. That's not loving leadership. That's not loving headship. So if you don't know, let her know you need a little time with it. Let her know you need a little time in God's Word. You need a little time to study. You need a little time to think through her question. You need a little time to pray about it. Right? Men, also, ask for help if you need help. We have pastors and elders. We have other godly men in our church who can help you with these types of things. So get help if needed, but take some time and then follow up with your wife. Get back with her. Help her understand her question. Lead her in this. So now let's consider that this is a challenging teaching, right? This can be a challenging teaching, more for some of you than others. But because the main areas of teaching, there are temptations that will come to us. And so we're going to explore two main areas of temptation here. First, temptations in our view of God. And second, in our temptations in our view of people. All right? So starting with our temptations in view of God. So when we consider God, we should, start, we should not start by anything of this world. Right? We shouldn't begin our understanding of God or our thoughts of God by what culture says. We shouldn't start our understanding of God by our own thoughts or our own feelings. We must start with the Bible, right? Scriptures are a source of truth, and so we go there to learn about God. So what does the Bible say about God? Well, as we read in the Bible, we know that God is good, that he is righteous, that he is just, that he is kind, that he is loving, and so much more, right? But you can be tempted to not believe these things when you come across difficult passages, right? Because of these difficult passages, because of the culture, the things you're hearing and listening from our culture, because of your own reasoning and understanding, there can be temptations that come here to not believe these things. 
what are some of those specifically here with women being silent? Well, you might be tempted to think that God doesn't want good for you. But the truth is that God has given you every spiritual blessing. It's yours. You might be tempted to think that God doesn't understand what is good and right. But the truth is that God knows exactly what is best, and his understanding is way beyond yours. You might be tempted to think that God is unjust, or he's giving preference to one over another. The truth is that God is just, but he has different roles for different people in different ways. You might be tempted to think that God is oppressive, but the truth is that God cares for you. He cares for the oppressed, and he lifts them up. You might be tempted to think that God underestimates you and all, what you have to offer and all of your gifts and abilities. But the truth is that God created you. He created you uniquely. He knows exactly what all of your gifts and talents and abilities are. And he wants you to use those in the church according to his design. So when we're faced with these temptations, this is where faith is needed. You need faith to dispel the lies. Take up the shield of faith to extinguish all the flaming darts, all the lies from the evil one that are coming at you. The devil will lie to you about these things. The world will lie to you. Your own mind and flesh may lie to you in these things. So do you have faith to believe God's word? Will you trust God even in the challenging parts of Scripture? Next area of temptation is our uh, view of people. There are temptations in our view of people. So one of the things that can happen with a teaching like this is that we can begin to assign worth and value to position or role or task. We could think, well, men have the position of preaching, so they must have more value. Or women are to keep silent, so they must not be worth much. That's not what's happening here. That's not what's happening here, but we can start to believe those things. So let me just say to you here that there is no one, man or woman, no one has the right to tell you that they are less, that you are less value or less important, right? No one has the right to tell you that you have little value or little worth or little importance. If anyone tells you that, if anyone indicates that by what they say to you or what they say about you, they are simply wrong. It is a lie. It is not true. Your worth and your value come from Jesus Christ. He has purchased you by his own blood. He has redeemed you. He has called you his own. That's where your worth and your value come from. So if you've been told otherwise, call out the lie. Identify it as a lie and don't believe it. I tell this to my kids. I do this with my kids. One of them, more so when they're younger, but one of them will, would come to me and say, well, so-and-so call me a dummy. All right? And so I'll ask them, well, are you? Are you a dummy? Well, no. Then don't believe them. Don't believe the lie. Right? You choose what you believe. Don't believe the lies that come to you. Choose to believe God's word. Choose to have faith in God's word. 
You need to fill your mind with the truth of God's word and what he says about you. That's what's important. That's what counts. So temptations. Women, there will be temptations here for you and how you view yourself. Don't believe the cultural lie that you are devalued because you are, are different than a man or have a different role than a man. God created you to be different. It is for his good purpose. Your differences as a woman are part of what makes you so valuable. You have to choose to see it that way. Don't give up on your God-given worth in order to seek worth and value in this world. Women, our culture will lie to you about your value. It will strip you of your true worth, which comes from God. It will sell you an idol, a false value, and a false worth. And it will cost you dearly if you give in to it. Any worth you find in this world will pale in comparison to the worth and value you already have in Jesus Christ. The Son of God shed his blood for you. He died on the cross in your place for your sin. You are now a child of God. This is where your worth and value is found. Women, find your worth and your value, your identity there. See yourself rightly according to God's word. Women, there's also going to be a temptation for you here in how you view men. Right? Women, can I just plead with you to guard your mind and how you view men in this way. Men who stand up for biblical manhood and biblical womanhood are not sexist. They're actually taking a stand for you. They're actually taking a stand for your value and your God-given worth. Now, yes, there are men who are evil in this world, right? There are men who are sexist. It's true. There are sinful men who will not view you rightly. However, those in the church who hold dearly to God's word are in your corner. They are for you. They are fighting for you and for God's glory in your life. View those men rightly. Men, of course, there'll be temptations for you and how you view women. Right? So let me ask you, men, how do you view women? How do you view your wife? How do you view your mother? How do you view your sister? How do you view the other women in our church? Are there ways that you devalue them in your thinking or in your words or even in your actions? Consider that. Men, your temptation is to view yourself more highly than you ought you must choose to see women as the beautiful creations created in God's image. That's who they are. Choose to see them that way. You must fight to put aside your pride in this area in order to love and care for these women in an appropriate manner. So fight these temptations. Next, we'll take note here that all things must be rightly ordered. All things must be rightly ordered. Look at verse 33, the beginning. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Verse 40, but all things should be done decently and in order. So here we see all things, right? All things should be rightly ordered. 
This right ordering begins in the worship service, as, the, as is the immediate context of this passage. Spiritual gifts, as we've seen earlier, uh, must be practiced in good, good order. The Lord's Supper must be done in good order. Prophecy, the teaching and preaching of God's Word, must be go- done in good order. All things in the worship service, especially, must be done in good order. Jump back to verse 31 here. It says, for you can all, this is speaking about prophesy, but you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. Right? One by one. It's not all happening at once. It's done one by one. It's done in good order. All things are rightly ordered so there's not confusion, but there's peace. There's a peaceful environment, and learning and growth can take place. God is to be worshipped, not in chaos, but in reverence and awe and right order. We can apply this right ordering to the home as well as we've talked about. Husbands carrying out headship in the family. Wives submitting to the leadership of their husbands. Children honoring their father and mother in your words and in your actions and in your attitudes. Right? Right ordering at home. Of course, there's right ordering in all things, uh, lots of other areas of life within the church, uh, within, uh, within the church outside of the worship service, other areas of the church, but right ordering, decency in the workplace and in your school and the government and lots of other places as well. So you can make some good applications there. Okay, last point of application here. I want to draw your attention to verse 39, uh, excuse me, 39, and this phrase here, so my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy. All right, so let me ask you, brothers, men, is this true of you? Do you have a desire to understand God's word and to bring it forth, to bring it to bear in the lives of others? This is something that we're told to desire. This is something that should be desired. It is a good thing for you. And so, men, I want to challenge you here to invest yourself not only in learning the Bible, but also invest yourself in learning how to teach the Bible, right? And when I say that, some of you uh, say, well, I can't speak in public. And some of you start shaking in your boots a little bit. There's lots of ways, encounters to teach God's word to others, right? In your home, as we talked about, one-on-one, those types of things. It might be within the church in a more public way. But man, challenge yourself here. Do you have a desire for more of God's word? Do you have a desire to be able to teach it and to bring it out, bring it forth, bring it to bear in the lives of others? If you've never done this or haven't done it much, there's some skill development needed. There's some practice needed. But this will come by the Holy Spirit as you give yourself to it. And so this prophecy, the teaching God's word, again, first apply in the home with your family. And then after that, other opportunities with individuals within the church and outside of the church. And then, of course, we'd love to have more men qualified and able to teach in the church, right? Teaching in Awana, teaching Sunday school classes, teaching in youth group, teaching other Bible studies. And so there's lots of application here. So earnestly desire this. There's help available. If you're interested in learning more, talk to a pastor or an elder about these things. All right, let's pray. Father God, we know that the message of your word, from your word this morning, 
does not fit our culture. And so, God, help us to look to your word first and foremost. Give us faith to hear it and receive it. Give us faith now as we've heard your word preached to apply it to our lives, to believe the truth of your word, to live it out, whatever the cost might be. God, give us faith to stand firm. And God, when those temptations come, Father, by your spirit, would you give us strength to fight those, those temptations with a shield of faith to extinguish those lies that come at us. Help us to know our value and our worth. I pray especially for the women here this morning that you would help them by your spirit to know their value and their worth because of what Christ has done in purchasing and redeeming them. Help them to stand firm in the truth of your word and what you say about them more than what anybody else says of them. So God, give us faith for these things. To your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. The charge this morning is this. Choose one area of disorder in your life. Could be a big disorder or even a small disorder. And then with God's help, seek to bring order into that area of life. And then women, don't forget I gave you an additional assignment uh, this morning. May God, according to the riches of his glory, grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. And I love you too.